Welcome back to Ecclesia uh, live stream. Uh, glad you're joining us this week. We are um, happy to have you along. Uh, I've been having a lot of conversations with people that have been tuning in and or are planning on coming uh, in person when we meet again, and we're excited about that. Excited that uh, even in the midst of this last year of being at a distance and all the <laughs> difficulties that come with it, that it's also helped us to connect to some new people. So if you're joining us for the first time or you're just kind of tuning in, um, glad to have you uh, here. And uh, hopefully we will be meeting again in person before too long. And hopefully you will join us in person. Um, our community is is committed to uh, serving uh, each other, serving uh, the city we live in. And um, we're not, not real fancy. Uh, we're pretty simple. And... Uh, it's a great place. So if you don't have a community you're connected to, we hope that you will join us uh, in person when that time comes and, and connect to us however you can uh, digitally and otherwise uh, for the time being. We are um, kind of taking a step out of the lectionary text today. Uh, and I'm just realizing I have a phone in here that may go off at any point. And, uh, and so we are... Um, we kind of take a step out. I, the The text this week for the gospel text, for some reason, it jumps from Mark to John, and then we'll be in Mark for a long time. And uh, last week, I don't know. I just I don't feel like we did justice to the passage we were in last week. So I'm sticking in Mark, and we're staying in Mark in verses one, uh, four through thirteen. And you remember last week we were talking about um, we're talking about Jesus' uh, baptism. We're talking about. Uh, what it signified, we were talking about preparing ourselves to be sent out in this world the way Jesus was prepared to be sent out in this world. And we talked about, remember, we had, we had three R's, which, again, I try not to do too much with sermons, but it just worked out that way. And uh, we talked about um, this baptism of repentance and repentance being a turning from one thing to another, but a repentance also being this um, telling the truth about ourselves, kind of humbly owning who and what we are and are not, and um, 
a certain kind of authenticity and honesty. It's something that we really strive for at Ecclesia. We, we tell you to come as you are, um, know that you are loved as you are, uh, but know that you are loved too much to be left as you are, right? And so it's this idea of owning who we are, of, of, of telling the truth about ourselves, and then receiving um, that good word that Jesus receives in, during his baptism, which is that uh, you are God's beloved. In you, God finds joy as you are, no matter what, without condition, right? And the story, this, this guy's opened up and this, this voice comes down from heaven and there's this thin place where heaven and earth are kind of meeting. And this is what the baptism uh, is intended to represent. It's that place where we tell the truth about ourselves and we accept the love that is unconditional, that meets us where we are, as we are. And then that third R we talked about was rooting ourselves in that, like that becomes the thing um, that defines who we are. That becomes the place from which we speak, from which we act, from which we live, and from which we die. Um, that becomes the thing we root ourselves in, right? We root ourselves in lives of humility and grace that comes from um, these two truths of who we are and being honest about who we are and knowing how we are loved, uh, even in spite of who we are sometimes. And so this week, the lectionary text um the lectionary text, like again, jumps over into John. Um, but I'll be honest, I'm enamored with what happens immediately following Jesus' baptism. And Mark doesn't, Mark talks about it in a very different way, but I'm enamored with this temptation where, where Jesus is driven by the Spirit out into the wilderness. Um, and I think we miss an opportunity, particularly in our current situation, in our culture, and in our country, um, if we skip the wilderness here. And so, um, we're going to look outside of Mark as well, because Mark uh, doesn't tell the whole story compared to some of the other Gospels, give some more detail. But uh, let's look again at Mark 1, 4 through 13. It says, um, and so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance and forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothes made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. <coughs> Sorry. <laughs> and this was his message. I totally lost my place. Isn't live recording great? And this was his message, verse 7. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw the heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, you are my son, whom I love, with you I am well pleased. And here's where we're going to kind of focus this week. And once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. So immediately following this baptism of repentance, immediately following these words that, that he hears from heaven, the pronouncement of his belovedness, immediately Jesus is driven into the wilderness, rooted in these things. And Mark does something really interesting here 
as he gives very little time and space to this whole uh, this whole scene. But even in this one sentence, I really like the elements that that Mark puts in here because they feel very appropriate and feel like a good analogy for where we are as God's children being kind of sent out into this world. The Spirit is the one that compels Jesus out of the wilderness. And out there in the world where Jesus, where uh, he is compelled and sent to go, Jesus encounters three things. He encounters Satan, the tempter. He encounters wild animals. And he encounters angels. Satan, wild animals, and angels, right? And I take this to represent really those things that we... Um, that we will encounter as we get supported and often challenged in our baptism in this world. As, as some, as sometimes we are um, helped in our rooting in those things of the baptism is sometimes trying to be uprooted. Right? So what I want to do is start with the temptations and, and look at those. And we'll, we'll look at some of the other gospels to talk about those as well. And then let's look at those other two things and just kind of think about how we might take this word with us. So Mark's, in Mark's telling, we have no details on the temptations of Satan. We just know that Jesus was driven out in the desert and was tempted for 40 days, uh, which is why I'm glad for our other Gospels. Our other Gospels, especially like Luke, gives us a really good layout of what happens out there in the desert. And I, I really resonate uh, with the details uh, of those forms in which temptations um, come to Jesus because they, I, I just resonate with them in regards to uh, my own life and in regards to what I see out there. And, and from those other Gospels from John, we know that there were three primary temptations that Jesus faced, right? There's three things of note that happened. First was this temptation um, as he was out there and, and, uh, and fasting was this temptation to turn the stones that were around him into bread. And this, uh, I don't know, this is interpreted a lot of different ways, but I see this at least, if nothing else, as this temptation to just take care of yourself, Right? You have the power to turn rocks into bread and to feed yourself, do it. You have the means to do this, do it. Take advantage of the power that you have. Take advantage of the, the abilities that you have. Take care of yourself. Be independent. Be self-sufficient. Take care of yourself. If you have this ability, uh, it is way more enticing than repentance and humility and dependence, right? Take care of yourself. Just feed yourself. Just, just turn it into bread. Take care. You don't have to be hungry. You don't have to suffer. You don't have to do those things, right? This is the, one of the temptations that Jesus faces, and Jesus says no to this thing. Man shall not live by bread alone, right? The second thing he is tempted to do is to cast himself off the top of the temple and to be saved by the angels, right? And it's just, uh, this seems to me, again, at, at the very least, there's a lot of different ways to talk about this, but this seems to me at least to be this temptation to be impressive, uh, this temptation to make grand public gestures that cause others just to catch their breath and applaud wildly, right? To become uh, beloved to the masses for all the miraculous and jaw-dropping things that you have accomplished, right? Instead of being beloved uh, along with all that is problematic with you, uh, as we learn in the baptism uh, of saying who we are and receiving God's belovedness, uh, it is... Um, Skipping, telling the truth about yourself, and it is trading true love and authentic, unconditional acceptance for the adulation of a crowd who is impressed by what you've shown them, right? And this is, uh, man, <laughs> this is really enticing when it's religious in nature. Um, 
I can tell you of someone who's kind of professionally religious, there is uh, a, a, there is something inebriating about people thinking that you're super spiritual. Now, it doesn't happen to me much, obviously, but uh, there's uh, if, if you can be impressive spiritually, um, that'll that'll make you feel like you're getting a lot of your needs met, even though you really aren't. Um, it's, it's a strong temptation, especially religiously. So take care of yourself, be impressive to the world. And then finally, and I'm going to spend a few minutes here. In fact, I could send a few, spend a few sermons here. Satan offers Jesus all the kingdoms of the world. Bow down to me. I will give you all the kingdoms of the world. Right? A lot of you heard me talk about this. Um, if you spent much time at Ecclesia in the last 14 years, you've definitely heard me speak on this passage because it's, it's a formational one for me. And if you wonder why I talk about it so much, and if you wonder why there's been, you know, other uh, theologians or other pastors, I wouldn't consider myself a theologian, pastors or theologians that are kind of ringing this bell and talking about it a lot. Um, the reason why is because, um, well, exactly what you saw at the Capitol last week, right? The Capitol siege is was the world's most predictable result of giving into this temptation. Um, I'm not good at predicting the future. Uh, I'm, I'm not good at that kind of stuff. But if you've been paying attention and you've been doing your kind of theological work and you've been paying attention to the gospel, what's been happening in the Christian world in America, it was extremely predictable what happened. It was jaw-dropping. It was terrifying to watch. It was uh, hard to believe on one level, but it was very predictable. Because this, I believe... Um, this trying to run the kingdoms of the world temptation, this is the most alluring of the temptations for today's church in America. I mean, that crowd of people outside the Capitol and who stormed the Capitol, there was a whole lot of God talk. There was a lot of praying out loud and consecrating what was going on there. There was a lot of uh, Jesus' name on banners in the crowd that, uh, that stormed the Capitol. Most of the people that were talked to or interviewed that I saw felt compelled by God to do what they were doing. There was a strong spirit of this like self-righteous anger and righteous indignation among those who um, sought to decide something for the rest of us. Right? Because that's intoxicating, right? It feels so noble to be in charge for God's supposed benefit, right? To win elections for God or just to demand to be in charge in this case. You don't have, you don't have to win the election, just storm the building and take it. To feel like you're supposed to uh, claim some kind of authority that God has set aside for you to run this things and to set things right for Jesus. Hallelujah, right? What could be more important than that? But of course, there are a myriad of problems with this. And Jesus' temptation in the desert lays them out pretty clearly to me. Um, first thing to notice in, when Jesus is tempted in the desert uh, by Satan is that when Satan offers Jesus the kingdoms of this world, Jesus does not argue that they are the devils to give in the first place. That was one of the things that always bothered me about this. Why didn't Jesus say, uh-uh, every, all these kingdoms are mine anyways. They're, they're not for you to give me. Jesus doesn't argue the fact that they're Satan's to give. The implication is that while there is a kingdom of God that will have no end, where the first shall be last and the last shall be first and all the tears will be wiped away one day and all these things, while there is a kingdom of God that will have no end, the kingdoms of this world, no matter how nice it might be, no matter how much you might happen to like it or I might happen to like it, the kingdoms of this world are not 
God's kingdoms. They're not God's. They're separate things. They're not what we're called to. And the other important thing here is that they are offered to Jesus, and Jesus says, no. He says, no. Jesus doesn't want to be in charge of the kingdoms of this world. It would appear that the running of the kingdoms of this world is not part of Jesus' plan of salvation. He wants nothing to do with it. And if Jesus doesn't want to run the kingdoms of the world, why do we want to run them for him? He certainly doesn't need for you to do it for him. In fact, Jesus plainly calls giving into this temptation, the temptation to try to run the kingdoms of this world, Jesus plainly calls this the worship of another god. It's idolatry. Right? According to Luke specifically, to take control of the world's kingdom is to worship Satan. Right? You should have no other gods before me, is how Jesus, no, no, I worship God alone. It's, it's devil worship. <laughs> not heavy metal music, uh, not listening to Ozzy Osbourne or playing Dungeons and Dragons like I was always taught growing up in the 80s, but trying to rule over others, trying to make the rules for them and enforce the rules over them, trying to put yourself in power over others, trying to run the kingdoms of this world by exerting powers o- over people instead of serving them as Jesus laid out. That's devil worship, right? You didn't think you hear me say devil worship so much tonight, but that's, I mean, by Luke's definition, that's what it is. This is not our call. Jesus has not asked you to make the rules and enforce them on a godless world. Jesus has not asked you to take over for him. Jesus called you to humbly serve others to wash feet and to bind wounds, to give freely and without condition. God has called you to love even your enemies, not beat them with a Jesus saves flagpole. What we saw happen at the Capitol had Jesus' name all over it, but it was anti-Christ. And this kind of mixing of faith with nationalism and power politics and, and, and all those kind of things is absolute poison to everything. It's it's poison to the faith, and it's poison to (laughs) patriotism. And it's poison to the person, right? Scripture says you cannot serve two masters, period. You'll always end up hating one. And even though what we saw at the Capitol had Jesus' name all over it, I would argue it demonstrated a hatred of God's kingdom. No one there would have said that but it was undoing the kingdom of God in this world. You can't serve two masters, right? Jesus was offered the kingdom of the world. Jesus said no. He called it idolatry. Why do we think it's our job to say yes? Right? So in the desert, um, the world that we're sent out to, we're sent out into a world that tempts us away from our baptism, from remembering who we are and whose we are in this world. The temptations to be impressive. The temptations to just take care of ourselves. The the temptation to be in power over others in order to set things right. And whenever we give in to these temptations, we are, in a very real sense, forgetting our baptism. And, And so it is in this world. We're presented with all these choices. Temptations to forget our baptism. But the world's not all temptations, right? According to Mark, there's also wild animals and angels, which I think are really, it's a really interesting way of framing this. 
and and why are the wild animals included here, right? Um, and interpreters have different theories on this. Some some see the wild animals being included as kind of a um, Saint Francis of Assisi kind of thing, like Jesus is like communing in the desert with the animals, and you know, like wild animals, he's kind of petting them and they're not attacking him. He's just kind of this image of uh, of an unbroken creation, the way things are meant to be, where man and nature are not in conflict. Um, Jesus with the wild beasts and the way that God originally intended creation to work. For all I know, that's completely correct. We aren't given much to go on here, but I tend to see the wild animals and angels uh, as being put there as kind of opposite ends of the spectrum, as being in in, uh, in tension with each other, as opposed to kind of being different versions of angelic little animals around and angels. Uh, it's wild animals, right? And then angels later kind of mentioned. So I, I draw a contrast between this. So as I read it, and, and I don't know this for sure, but this is how I read it. And as I think, I, I think about um, kind of the, the wildness of the world. Right? I think about trying to live in a chaotic and dangerous and out of control world, right? And this is what the image of wild animals communicates to me. Um, and this is certainly feels true of the world we've been sent out, sent out into, especially right now, right? There are portions of it that are so threatening and unpredictable and out of control, right? So wild and so dangerous. And in the midst of that kind of chaos and danger and lack of control, it is easy to forget my baptism, right? Um, there are times in this world where I feel more like, uh, the buffet that I feel like the beloved. I feel like I'm going to be consumed. Um, and while I certainly face temptations and uh, I certainly choose poorly sometimes in those temptations, uh, those are things I'm free to choose yes or no with, right? But there are often times that there are things in this world that I have no choice in. Those things that, that I don't get to make a choice about. It's not a temptation. It's it's out of my control, right? It, it might scare me or it might even harm me. And there isn't much I can do about it. This is These are, to me, the wild animals of the world we live in. And, uh, and I mean, I, I've, I've felt a lot of those <laughs> in the last couple of months. It feels like there's so much that's out of control. Um, I don't know. It feels wild and chaotic. And it's easy to forget your baptism in those places. And because things can be so wild and so chaotic, uh, I am always so grateful for the angels, right? And the angels, uh, as scary and wild as the world might be, um, the angels are the ones that walk in the midst of us and remind us of our baptism. Those who lift us up and bind our wounds in a dangerous world, those who remind us of that we are beloved and loved without condition, and we are here for a reason. Those who, through their actions and their attitudes, uh, help us to believe and remember God's unconditional love, right? You need some angels. I need <laughs> some angels. Uh, a lot of this community are the angels for me, right? Seek some out if you don't have any. And sometimes they can be hard to find, but look for them. Make space for them. Believe them when they remind you who you are and whose you are in this chaotic and dangerous world. It is a broken place. Find your angels. 
I've been talking a long time. And so I think there's something to be learned here. Uh, after Jesus' baptism, after he uh, uh, is part of this repentance and telling the truth and, and receiving who he really is from God, and he roots himself on those things and then is sent into this world, there's something here for us to think about. And, and, I, and I believe the Spirit drives us out into this wilderness as well. We are, as our name at Ecclesia, the called out ones, is what Ecclesia means, uh, translated as church in English in the New Testament or Bible, but it means the called out ones. I believe we too are called out, sent out into this wilderness, rooted in our baptism, remembering who we are and whose we are. Um, the Spirit of God sends us out among the animals and among the angels in the midst of temptations towards power and impressiveness and selfishness to love and to serve God's children, to love and to serve God's children in the world that God is seeking to build anew. Remember your baptism. Remember who you are and remember whose you are. And don't trade that for anything in or of this world. Peace be with you.